Hi everyone, my name is Dan Quintana and I'm here with James Heathers, a man who has been described as the most dangerous scientist in the world. <laughs> Un- unverified. What a- unverified. What what is what is the story here? Tell 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 the dear listeners the story of how you were called the most dangerous scientist in the world. I use this example in talks because I want to introduce the idea of fallibility. Not because I'm dangerous, Daniel. I'm not dangerous. I'm lovely. Agree with me or I'll hit you. It's more that... <laughs> well, I'll tell you the story first and then I'll tell you why I started talking about it. So this happened. This is years ago. Shit, I don't know, 2016, 2018, something like that. And I was in one of my many fracas because they're fun I know because they're necessary, really. They're interminable. They're not much fun at all. So I had said something either more inflammatory than usual or the regular amount of inflammatory. And some someone found my email address, which is actually very easy to find, uh, especially at the time. I was highly Googleable. You could just find it and write to me. That was, that was no trauma. And... They wrote, all I remember is it it was a dude, uh, he was Dutch. That's all I remember because I didn't pay a lot of attention. So he wrote Uh and he said, are you really thinking of being this pugnacious and unpleasant? And I replied essentially to the extent of, no, I'm thinking of being much more pugnacious and unpleasant. And what I put in the public domain earlier, which is that this is going to, the whole wretched business is going to go on and on and on and only get louder and more terrifying. And you should all definitely be very scared. And it's all going to change. And if I have to light the touch paper myself, then so be it. Go fuck yourself. Um, what amounted to that? Let's not say I wrote that. I'm very polite. Um, Fuck you, don't look at me like that. So the <laughs> the response that I got was well, that in my considered opinion, you were the most dangerous scientist in the world. And I thought that was <laughs> hilarious hyperbolic nonsense, but I wasn't in the mood to deal with it at the time. So like most things that turn up, like the, the time the anti-vaxxers came for me, the homeopaths, all the different little coteries of freaks and head injury recipients who live on the internet, I look at it and chuckle and then delete it immediately and then have forgotten the vast majority of it because it, it honestly, it doesn't matter. I'm very happy that I have the ability to do that because I know a lot of people don't. And I never really talked about it before a couple of years ago because I wanted to introduce the idea of the fact that a statement without evidence is just a series of words in order. Now, I deleted that straight away because with some dumb shit in the middle of a slappy fight, right? And you should feel free not to believe me. And then I use that as an opportunity to introduce myself. This is me. Here's a photo of me with a cat. Here's a photo of me with a second cat. No, <laughs> you know, this is, I, I, I don't feel particularly dangerous. I mean, shitty and pugnacious from time to time, certainly. I don't think it's dangerous. I think it's, it's necessary. 
uh, any more than I think that having surgery to remove a tumor is dangerous. Um, and I, th I think of this, the pointier ends of reform, especially on the basis of a fraud fabrication and assorted scallywag behavior. I think of that in the same, in those, in those sorts of terms, like. A remedy is required and it's not a normal activity to have shit cut out of you every day, you know, unless you're a human steak, which you presumably aren't. So I like it because I can't prove that that happened. I'm well aware of the fact that I can't prove that that happened. And they think it's true and I don't think it's true and it doesn't matter. And this introduces the idea of, well, what's the evidentiary basis of anything? What's the chain of custody in the first place? So it's a completely forgettable yeah. little incident that came up in, in terms of it's a more fun way to say, you know, I could make any dumb assertment. Uh, assertment? Wow. That's an assortment of asser assertions. Um, <laughs> a spoonerism for you. Uh, I mean, I could tell you, Dan, for instance, I have a bottle of spray cleaner immediately behind my computer. And once I turn the computer around, yeah. it's just some words that I've said in order. And science should not work yeah. on that basis. There should be other types of accompanying information. Um, a lot of it, the digital records of the process that is being described in the words that occurs. So, for you, for instance, here is a bottle of fantastic lemon scent disinfectant multi-purpose cleaner. Is. Now, I can't do that with my stupid email. Um, and it doesn't matter now anyway because uh, and I, this is also going into talks. And sorry, uh, uh, Elise, if you hear this, but I'm 100% using the example, which is presumably that you, you mentioned because you saw this on twats.com. Speaking of um, dangerous scientists, um, I want to talk about a recent blog post where Dorothy Bishop, friend of the show, former guest, is proposing that we raise up a generation of dangerous scientists by a new master program called the Defense Against the Dark Arts. Now, that is a metal name for a master program. And it, it is, but you have to take several points off because it's from Harry Potter. Well, I, th I, still, th I still think it's very... I still think it's very cool. It, it would be, on the scale of, I mean, if, if you uh, consider that other courses are called things like Introduction to Bioinformatics or uh, the the uh, Unknown Writers of the Romantic Period, Defense Against the Dark Arts is more metal. Yes. It is definitely definitely more metal. But in this uh, in this blog post, which we will link to, this is a, a proposal for such a, um, such, such, such a master's course. And I think this is an interesting idea and uh, Dorothy presents a couple of topics this kind of course can offer about how to spot dodgy data sets manipulated figures a lot of the the, the stuff you would expect but some interesting things as um, like how to protect yourself from legal attacks which is the kind of thing that you that, you, that um, actually is becoming more and more important to, uh, to to learn here so I think this was quite an interesting proposal in that Dorothy also suggests that this sort of person that would be trained here would be in demand in a couple of years' time, assuming that universities and research funders will be more interested in people who are able to detect these kind of things. And I thought that was quite an interesting point. Um, it, it, it is. I would. I would modify that a little bit. I think it would be. Uh, I think this. The whole idea that 
given what's happened over the last decade, that the formal academic world will suddenly pay attention to this, will be an eventuality that surprises me. Let me put it that way. Hmm. I think, however, that there is much more interest in publishing houses and editorial staff and maybe even individual universities themselves who are maintaining their own sort of broader research environments, not within a field, not within the kind of, and these are, these are obviously within the academic ages, but they're not researchers. So this is a, in a, in a sense, I suppose it has more common with a coursework master's than it does with a research master's. Although having 40 students to, the, the, the skin on the back of my neck prickles about the possibilities of having 40 master's students to be let loose into term projects on something like this. Do you do a lot of stuff? Oh, Daniel. I, people would write to me to say that I was an unpleasant man all the time, not just occasionally. Army <laughs> <laughs> um, of 40 people. I, I'm not as optimistic as you in that. I, I do agree with you that publishers would be very, very interested in this kind of stuff. But as for universities, do you think they would care enough? Well, yes. I think that, f- first of all, I think that within the sort of hierarchies of organizations, fancier universities set standards that eventually filter down to other people. Second, I think they are increasingly starting to see how exposed they are to tail risks of everything going badly. Um, In the US, I think this is not just the idea that the ORI will come and make life difficult for them. I think that's part of it. I think mainly they care about bad publicity and occasionally they probably also care about the idea of someone prosecuting them under the False Claims Act and taking Mm -hmm. tens or hundreds of millions of their dollars. Uh, I think paying a million dollars a year to make sure that you never have a situation where there is a – a case like that that is one, discovered externally, two, prosecuted externally, three, dragged through newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's a reasonable long-term investment, especially because it, people are just starting to realize, especially within certain subfields, I think at some collective level. It's been a lot of writing about this since August after the, frankly, explosive nature of the Francesca Gino business. Um, although I get a lot of that because I live in the same city. So everyone's, it's one of these things that everyone's heard of. How do you see this playing um, out in reality though? Like, is this a thing where- How do I see it go- playing, how, how do I see it playing out in reality? No, is, is it a thing where this is like a person that's randomly checking people to make sure things are consistent? Or is this a, if they get a sniff or if someone goes, hey, you should- um, Check out what uh, what she's doing, what he's doing. Yes, I think it's. I think something like that. I think probably how you want to start is not in that kind of ombudsman role where someone because th- th- those things already exist, presumably. But I've never. This is interesting. I've never met or talked to anyone who's had that internal role at, the, at a university, even though I've been at a few. 
Uh, that's obviously uh, not a good system. I mean, reporting to your university problems within your university uh, inevitably from someone who has more seniority than you do. <laughs> Very funny. Um, it's just like, it's socially naive to expect that to happen. I think what isn't naive is the idea that anything that's important past a certain level could be audited or that there is a percentage of research that could be checked on the basis of there's so much of it coming out of this department, X, Y, Z, produce all the stuff. These are the data sets. It's like a standard can be withheld internally because you've got to bear in mind, Dan, that every time you do this is exactly the same way that publishers think. Publishers hate the idea of all of us turning up mob-handed and pointing out all the dumb shit they published done by dishonest, mendacious fucks. They don't like that. They really like detecting all that stuff, though, before it's published. If it's done before it's published, it wastes less time. It never becomes a problem. It costs less money, etc. So... That's why you have things like the STM Integrity Hub where all the publishers have put their money in their little pot and they're all collectively thinking about how can we share and build tools to be able to deal with this before it becomes a problem. I can see universities thinking the same way because Stanford is full of shiny, dishonest, mendacious fucks is not going to be a thought that people have. Well, actually, let me scratch that out. That is going to be a thought that people have because it exists the way that it exists, but they're going to have that thought less if things like this are detected in-house, audited in-house, conversations are had in-house, and the university is allowed to flex a bit. They can make your life incredibly difficult without firing you or revoking your tenure or setting your feet on fire or anything like that. They can 100% put you on a performance improvement plan that makes it difficult to do your job, even if that's just send me all the data from everything you've published in the last 10 years, right? Now, they don't want to fuck with these people, but there's going to be a point where the amount of times this happens and the collective loss of face is seen as something that is on the same value scale as paying to make sure this happens. Now, I think we're a long way into the weeds here. I mean, mm. I want this is you're asking me to justify this sort of uh, this proposal on the basis of a whole bunch of shit that just has not happened yet. Obviously, look, I think it's very, very interesting. What's it, how the way that it's been laid out here, as you might expect, is I mean, I have immediately my, my, my brain is making sub dot points out of all of these things. What I would, would you add? Love to, I would love to write and run something like this. Uh, what would I add? Is that the question? Yeah. There, there's, a few, there's a few points that are raised, uh, a few potential um, topics. The things, the, things, the things that I would add are broader. I think the, uh, the fallibility and the perspective of peer review, the history of peer review, um, what it's designed to do, what it is not designed to do, and the research into exactly how well it works to perform the tasks that it is supposed to. 
I would also add, I think, some, some, some attempt to establish a mentality that's necessary that is very different to the mentality that you need to do research or the mentality that you need to do to review research. The, the, the ability to forensically investigate something, you are more similar to a hacker or an accountant or a, uh, an IRS investigator than you are to anything else. To achieve exactly the same end, I should add, the whole point when you do this is looking for the absence of problems. Peer review isn't is, I mean, that's that's how you judge if something's good. Yeah, you're looking for critical failures. So you know, maybe, maybe a systems analyst as well. The mindset really is different, and I think that is it's the sort of obvious cornerstone of why so many of these uh, attempts to make people better at it have come to nothing because I think it's very, very hard. I don't do it. I do, if sometimes you want to read about something quickly, you may read 20, 30 papers on the rate of one every 90 seconds, right? Okay. It's quick, but yeah. Yeah, but, but you're going through, you're looking for a salient piece of information. Does it Her, have a result about this? Red flags come up. Is it, can come up in that time frame. They can, but it's very unlikely, Dan, because- Look, I can't tell you how many times papers with hundreds or thousands of citations have obvious errors in them that no one's ever seen or pointed out. I mean, maybe people have seen them and not pointed them out, which is its own separate sadness. But in general, people don't see them. Or they may even notice that something is there, but they're not. the brain doesn't even go as far as saying that is potentially anomalous. Hmm. It's just not there under that mindset. So that would be the second broader umbrella of what to add to this curriculum is how to think about it. You're also going to get a shitload of coding, which is unfortunate because the vast majority of tools require you to understand things about data structure, things about statistics, um, things about the kind of back-end mechanics, the scientometrics of how individual papers appear. And a lot of people who work on all this stuff, generally they're either reasonable at coding in their own right or they're actually engineers. Mm. And people who build the really good stuff. And there's so many different individual bits. You could do a whole full-time year just on the observations that people have used to do this, the observations that exist that could be used to do this that no one's ever used, and learning how they may or may not be appropriate in exactly the same way that, you you know, you ever see one of those big stupid statistical flowcharts, you know, if you've got two variables and one nested <laughs> variable and you follow it down, you're like, oh, I do an ankover, but before that I get a thermometer yeah. and stick it in my ear. The answer is um, always a manover. That's what it always yeah, goes The answer is always a <laughs> manover. <laughs> Well, my 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 favorite acronym in that is man cover. Man cover. Doesn't that sound like a well aggressive gay bar? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. I would a hundred. I would a hundred percent have a beer in man cover. I'm sure it exists somewhere. I I love joints like that. It's just a, I don't I don't know I don't know what it is. There's a there's an honesty about yeah. it. Yeah. 
This is a. Uh, it's just. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm too. I'm too burned out on just regular middle class horseshit pubs here. It's so hard to find anything with even the barest hint of sort of grime or menace in the US, unless there's way too much of it. There's either way too little or way too much. <laughs> what ha- what happened to all the what happened to all the places that are just pleasantly dodgy? That's how I see man cover in my mind. Fuck, maybe I'll have to build it. (laughs) Get a big payday. It kind of reminds me of all the pubs around University of Sydney. A lot lot of that was pleasantly dodgy. It was great. Yes. I'm sure they don't exist anymore. Gentrification Um, and all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure that the carpets that are there, um, I think they don't think they're legal. My shoe is still stuck there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, know we actually get, um, we, we do- continue getting listener feedback through mainly through our, a contact form and email address and uh, mm. one of the more common ones is hey I, I'm a student at the University of Sydney I'm just popping in to, to, to say hello I, I, I listen and uh, we still got, I, I think it's a, f- a few of the lecturers there are, are recommending the podcast and a few I students. think they'd be very carefully selecting episodes when we <laughs> managed to, to, to keep a uh, uh, the barest thread of narrative together yeah, um, it's it's happening though, and so shout out to all the uh, everyone that's there. That's great. We love receiving uh, uh, feedback on our forms. I want to talk about this uh, recent um, blog by um, Andrew Gelman, and it's titled "Why I Continue to Support the Science Reform Movement Despite Its Flaws." And I'll go to his um, his summary. We can talk a bit about this, but the summary here says that the open science movement has always had a tension between burn it all down and here's one quick trick. Put them together and it kind of sounds like a cult that can't see outward. But I see it more I see it as, as more the opposite, as an awkward coalition representing fundamentally incoherent views. Both sides of the coalition need each other. The reformers need the old institutional powers to make a real difference in practice, and the oldsters Need the reformers because the outsiders are losing confidence in the system. James, is open science cultish? No, no, Do I see- don't. I don't. I don't think it is. Yet it's often a thing which is thrown around quite a lot. An idea. Well, yes. By who? People who are outsiders. Do the people who are like have genuinely no interest in it whatsoever? are looking inside from some external perspective and saying, this is cult-like. I, it's, it's a, it's a, I, don't, I, think that's, I think that's vanishingly unlikely compared to the alternative view of there are people who, who are in general supportive of the broader goals of the democratization of the processes and access to science who disagree about the priorities and quality of how the individual pieces fit together. I think anyone who goes, it's a cult in general, is someone who's in it. No, who of thinks not. that there, there are, what? People, don't, people in cults don't say, I'm in a cult. No, Dan, in the movement. Yeah, sure, sure. If, there, if there, there's an astonishingly messy, amorphously defined group of people who in many respects are largely difficult. Yeah. At least they are in my experience. Maybe there's a lot of very nice people out there who I don't well they don't they don't email me. So fuck them. Um <laughs> but then again they'll forgive me for that. They're nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look. It is 
because it's so difficult to define in the first place, I think if you're getting into a pitched battle about what it means and what it needs to consist of and what people think about individual elements of it, I think that if you're having those arguments, the whole idea of people who I don't agree with are cultish. Uh, it depends on where you draw the line of what the individual thinks. I find a lot of these discussions at a high level to be pretty fucking pointless because there's no clear definitive. It's not like saying this person is a Freudian, right? That has mm. very clear and specific meanings about how they think the sort of internal personality dynamics of, of any individual person are constructed. And they have theories that are invariant that allow you to say whether or not any situation could be understood. Fine. Great. I don't think open science works like that. I think it's a fucking shambles. And it is going to be a messy ongoing discussion over a period of several decades, of which we may now be in the fuck. Well, well into the second at an absolute minimum. Could be the third, depending on how you think about where it starts. But fuck it, right? So the idea, especially like there's an interesting word in this, and I read this this morning because Gelman emailed it to me. Uh, there's an interesting word in this that I think you may have overlooked. It says millenarian. Now, bless your dear little top, heart, yeah. Daniel. Do you know what a millenarian cult is? Ones that think that the world's going to end at a at the millennium. Yeah, sort of. Um. There are a lot of characteristics to them, uh, and they're they're super they're super fucking interesting. I think it's characterized by thinking that everything around you is unjust and fucked up, and everything will be changed by a kind of cataclysm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cleansing fire. Um, yeah. Yeah. Something. Something like that um i mean the jonestown cult for instance um whatever they were called the jim jones cult it actually has a name that everyone always forgets it's a people's temple of shit bricks i don't i something right um so you can see some elements Within it, but can you construct in your mind the idea that these issues would build up over time and that they would not be the statements of a bearded weirdo in the jungles of Guyana, but rather the like a series of carefully collected observations over time on what is actually going wrong with different processes and then often concrete alternatives that can be implemented? I think it has the simply simply because of the immediate injustice followed by cataclysm combined with radicalism. I think it has the sort of emotional resonance of millenarianism without having any of the aspects of it. I can I can see that. Yeah. Um also, you know, you're not, allowed, you're, not allowed to, you're not allowed to say this shit about cult leaders, you know? I mean, if you if you said this and Brian Nosek went over and burned your house down. 
<laughs> Which seems unlikely. He's like the nicest man in the whole world. Is just gonna uh, <laughs> go and go and set your toes on fire. That'd be really fun. It, it, look, it's. I mean, this actually was a good segue because again, we encounter the sort of messy complexity of it. Mm. Gilman's, Gilman's point that there is an uneasy alliance between. It is good publicity and good practice for things to be in a continual process of self-examination, especially if you are in the examining things business. And it's interesting. It really is interesting to me from time to time where people who are much more, even now, I mean, especially now because I'm not in the game in the way that uh, other people still are. It is interesting sometimes to people who – you would think and have, have infinite poise and control and understand everything that's happening that, that turn up with me on the phone or Zoom or whatever else and go, I don't know how to handle this. James, I, I don't know. Help me understand the bad thing. The bad thing is very scary and I don't know how to parse any of the bad things happening. You do really get the sense sometimes that that element of it is true, mm. that whatever is the... Uh, old guard, you know, the established elements of uh, science as a research community do not understand pieces of this. And then they, sometimes they will show up and sometimes they will have their hat in their hand and go, explain this to me, what the fuck is going on? It's all rather complicated. But at the same time, obviously, it's I think far more commonly discussed is the fact that, and I've said this a fucking million times, you can have any idea you like about the reforms and in general, the vast majority of them will do fucking nothing because you're not convincing the people you need to convince. Should is the stupidest word in the English language and anyone who uses it should take a long, hard look at themselves. And this messy interrelationship will go on and on and on until eventually we haven't really noticed that what is allegedly normal has actually changed over mm. time. Do you dye your beard? What? It's very dark. No. Mine is half, I mean, I started going gray in my <laughs> mid-20s. Mine I, is, like, I'm <laughs> starting to look very Santa Clausy, or, or maybe like one of those sort of crossed-out poodles that have the, the gray coat and the kind of narrowed eyes. I, I do have great things coming through, but no, I do not die in my beard. <laughs> uh, that's a sh- that's a shame. I feel I'd feel better about circling the drain if you were dyeing your beard. I didn't think it was the sort of thing you'd have time for. No, no there's no time for that. No time at all. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, you're doing this in the middle of the night. I mean, talking to this. I'm, I'm surprised. Idiot I'm surprised that you've embarked on this weird journey with years I, ago. I'm surprised a child hasn't run in <laughs> now. <laughs> like no, that, that hasn't happened. Like for that a famous of- BBC interview. The little kid comes tottering in, followed by the other kid and the mother. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when the internet was for beautiful moments like that? I think there was a point after which it stopped being the weird internet and it started when? being the sort what of happened? Corporate shitbox internet. As I soon as things got monetized, easy, easy, easier. I, I think, yeah, something, something, something like that. I think there was a point where the sort of 
the scandal du jour, the silliness du jour, where everyone got to look at the same thing and what I used to call the eye of Sauron got to move about. And of course, occasionally it was unfair and bizarre and sometimes it was, you know, what do the kids say now, problematic. I mean, often it was incredibly hasty, dangerous. Um, But a lot of the time it was also charming. And we used to have funny little cultural moments like that that stuck. And now there's a camera in everything. Uh, The amount of awful shit has not, I mean, it's grown to a certain degree. But I think that proportionally what has grown more is our ability to see things that are elsewhere. Um, And the thing that's very definitely happened in the last few years is the utterly cynical and monstrous ability to monetize dangerous bullshit has simply been normalized Mm. past a certain point. The the whole idea of uh, uh, teenagers in Macedonia making uh, Facebook pages and soliciting donations from Republican dupes to get money enough to buy a a Mitsubishi uh, is... (laughs) That that almost seems that almost seems quaint now. I mean, there there were some great stories. I don't think I'm one of the few people who read them. There's some great stories about what happened when it came to the the huge sort of putsch in America um, and how that felt digitally. And a lot of it was made up by Eastern European teenagers. Just quick farms. <laughs> well, yes, of course. That you know. They'd start off, you know, the Patriots Defense Alliance from America. They just post memes and horseshit and make things up in general and, I don't know, probably sold merch and clicks and whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, that's normal now. Mm. It's not just enterprising young people, which is why all digital movements start with people who have the time and the intelligence and the digital access to be really difficult about something. I do miss the old internet. Yeah. I mean, watching the the Twitter meltdown recently has been so – it's now so drab and played out. What? There's a thing to – I was reading an article in Tech Dirt. Uh, Do ads appear next to anti-Semitic content? And – you know, Twitter says no. The ability to search it in 30 seconds says yes. Screenshots say yes. Yeah, but also you can immediately go and verify yourself. I mean, mm. I'm not even sure I want the words used in my browser history. I'm not known for my personal respect, but there's fucking limits to things that I'm even comfortable typing sometimes. I'm truly amazed by people's ability to be pricks to each other some days. It is, on a human level, amazing. I wonder if there are a lot of people in the world who are just ill-equipped to have regular emotional responses to digital space. Wonder what happens when when we're the oldest generation and people who actually grew up early enough with the internet. I wonder if the collective opinion of things on it will change. Maybe not. Maybe we're just irreparably compromised as a species and we've built a tool that will have so many benefits and drawbacks we'll never manage to be able to dissociate them on a societal level. 
I'm just glad that it's generally free and the protocols are open because I think if the internet was invented today, it kind of wouldn't happen. Same, same, same thing as libraries. If, if the concept of the library was invented today, it absolutely would not work. But because it was, that's how that, that, that's how it started out. We have what we have today. I think that's that. Uh, we we should have. That's an interesting point, Daniel. I mean, we do have things that are similar to libraries today, uh, invented by companies. Spotify. No, we have to pay for that. That's and of course, exactly your point. Yeah, it's exactly it's exactly the same model. There's a shared resource where you have uh, access. Anything is available. Sometimes the availability is limited by supply, et cetera, et cetera. Um, libraries in the US in particular, so marvelous digital resources. I mean, there's so many. It's a nice thing about only needing one book at a time. Uh, there's no need to do anything dodgy with media or a lot of the time spend any money because you've got a library card and the right app here. I got enough books for the rest of my life, audio and otherwise through the great power of the American Public Library. It's amazing. Wonderfully, wonderfully unappreciated and unsupported institution. Just amazed, amazed with the lack of thought that goes into them as an institution. And you're absolutely right. If it was invented now, people would deride it as the kind of fanciful work of digital hippies. Socialist wet dream. Well, yeah, it's uh, only in certain sections of the Dewey numbers. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we're going to wrap up for this episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, we, special- we tried. We tried to stay focused, but we're very old now. Even if our beards are not entirely grey. <laughs> Graying, graying beards. Th- th- thanks for listening, and, and <laughs> sh- shout out to also our Patreon supporters Just who um gray. who throw us an extra few dollars a month um to keep the uh, to keep the lights on. We uh, really appreciate it. We we'll back again. Hosting. New episode soon. Yes, we will continue to do this until the sun goes out or Dan gets sick of me.